Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang and today on The Detail I'm in South Auckland with a South Seas community support mobile team. Um, I'm with Tyler and Nano. What are we doing today, Tyler? So today we are going out and visiting families that are in self-isolation. So families that have been referred to us through different streams in the community. Uh, they're often families that have been identified as high needs, so whether that's high health needs or high social needs. So what we'll do is uh, deliver them some resources at the door, provide some rapid antigen tests if needed, and also um, some extra... Uh, resources such as masks, sanitizers, gloves. But the more important um, side of it is that the families feel like they're being looked after um, for social needs, in particular food and financial assistance. Awesome. Well, let's hit the road. South Auckland has been the epicentre of most of New Zealand's COVID outbreaks over the last two years. Delta was bad. This is the second time that it has borne the brunt of numbers significantly in a major outbreak. But Omicron is another level. Pacifica now make up around half of the cases in the current Omicron outbreak. Most of them are in the Auckland region. About half of all children turning up to Middlemore's emergency department have the virus. As we've seen throughout this pandemic, it's those uh, with the least who are suffering the most. And again, it's South Auckland bearing the brunt of Omicron. Case numbers change all the time, but at the moment, one in five active COVID-19 cases is in the county's Monaco DHB area. What is it like working on the front lines, caring for those with COVID in their homes? I wish we pushed harder for a lockdown. Then maybe we wouldn't be seeing the numbers that we're seeing today. Just some background to South Auckland. The county's Monaco DHB is one of the country's biggest. It serves the largest Pacific population and the second largest Māori population. It's also home to some of our most socio-economically deprived people. South Seas Healthcare Trust is Otara's largest Pacific provider, and since the start of the pandemic, it's been on the front lines supporting whānau to deal with COVID. Now we'll get back to Tyler and Nano soon, but first, here's Cherry Alasaya, the team lead for South Seas Community Supported Isolation and Quarantine Branch, known as CSIQ. There was a need uh, for support with our Pacifica families because of um, our Pacifica being identified as the uh, vulnerable uh, group, um, especially in the last two lockdowns. Um, Pacifica has been the face of COVID and, mm. and uh, it was identified from mainstream and Ministry of Health that um, they had to establish a, a service that can support our uh, com- Pacifica community and uh, involving our primary health care providers. Especially as the government moved to self-isolation at home. Essentially what you're saying is that the kind of situation that an awful lot of Pacific households find themselves in, crowded and multi-generational, would not be suitable for home isolation. Absolutely not. The risk of spread is just um, very high 
um, it's not exactly that you could isolate a person um, in their own home if 10 people are living in a three-bedroom house. South Sea's isolation support service started up last November, but Cherry Alisaia has been working with the Pacific provider for a year. I've had the amazing opportunity to work in two lockdowns with South Seas, so um, started initially with the CVAC testing station out in Waipuna, um, as well as Otara testing station, and then uh, did a bit of work with the mobile clinic, and then when we went into the lockdown in August of last year, um, came out to help with the COVID surge response. You've mentioned already that with the previous lockdowns and the previous um, outbreaks, you know, especially South Auckland has been really hard hit. Have you seen any difference? Um, I have definitely uh, seen the difference because this variant is obviously very contagious. We weren't prepared for the numbers, but we certainly had the tools that we we managed to, and the skills that we learned in the first two lockdowns to help help manage and help our families through their experience of isolation. What I did really notice was that by lockdown, th- by lockdown three, people were over it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we were trying to support our families to make sure that they stayed in isolation and gave them the right information so that they um, could stay in, in isolation. Um, but I think by this lockdown, a lot of, uh, in general, I think a lot of people were over, were over the COVID um, lockdowns, yeah. Mm. So that was the big difference that we saw. Yeah, and yeah. It, I mean, it is hard, right? Like, and these, they've had to isolate for so long already. Yes, especially because, you know, we all we all need to go to work to earn the money to look after our families. And, um, you know, families are not prepared to stay home and lose that income, which has a huge impact on um, on not only just their physical well-being, but mentally, um, spiritually, you know, our communities are not able to attend church. So, you know, it's, a, it's, it's an impact on the um, overall well-being of, of an individual and their family. Yeah. Mm. What does a typical day look like for you? Essentially, we uh, Pacific culture, we always uh, start our day with a prayer. We always need to give thanks to, to our Lord to, who's guiding us in our workforce to be able to provide. And um, then we meet with our uh, mainstream, uh, with usually the DHBs and, and Parch. Parch is the hub that essentially hand over cases. Um, so we do um, meet for huddle with um, Parch. Um, and then uh, once those referrals come through, uh, our initial contact starts for the families and, and their initial assessments are done through our call, call center nurses. Um, and then we activate our mobile service to go out and lay eyes on, on each family just to, one, build that rapport, build that trust. That, um, and just knowing that it, we're not just behind a telephone, we're also mm. real we're people. Real person. <laughs> we're actually real people. Um, and that's the aim of our initial contact is to to build that trust between us and the families. Uh, this is Tyler and Nano. Hi, Tyler. Hi, Nano. Tyler Sorensen and Nano Pakule are one of the four mobile CSIQ teams. I'm going out with them on their home visits to see Fano isolating because of COVID. 
we've got PC in the van, so um, it's just more important that you were in N95 and a shield. Okay. You don't really have to wear the rest of the get-up, because cool, you'll cool. probably be standing back a bit. Yes. Um, but yeah, as long as you have both of those things on, just keep yourself safe. Can I help carry a box? <laughs> we head out to load up the van, which has a cabinet full of drawers and a desk area. Yeah, I see you've got the N95. Yeah, yeah. 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 So we've got all Nicely na- labelled there as well. Yeah, we've also got set up for um, like street vaccinations. We've got a um, veranda that comes out so people can sit underneath it, and, and then like emergency kits. Obviously, we don't really need the emergency kits so much for COVID home visits, but you never know. It's yeah. Um, and then we have gone for PPE. We've got uh, backup right tests if families have need more than what we've provided. Yeah. And we've also got PCRs available as well. Um, if people request to have a PCR instead of a rapid antigen test, which is fine. Um, or we clinically determined that someone should have one. So if, say, someone is in a household full of positive people and they're symptomatic but they continue to test negative on a rat, then we might do a PCR just to confirm that they are negative. Um, yeah, so we've got the van fully stocked for all kind of contingency yeah, plans yeah. or any, any kind of change in visits that we might have. Our first yeah, right. stop is a family in Otahu. Okay. So, what is the process of getting so ready? The process is um, that we make sure that our pack is ready to go. So in this household we have three negative household contacts and they require two tests, um, one for day three and one for day ten. So we give enough to cover that um, period. Also includes an information sheet um, on the instructions on how to do a rapid antigen test. I will explain it at the door too, um, but it's good to have a uh, paper version that you leave behind because you know in one ear and out the other sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very lengthy process on how to do a rapid antigen test. Um, so we want to make sure that families are able and comfortable to do it themselves. Um, and then we've also got another um, resource here which is how to load those results of that rapid antigen test. Yeah. So that's what we've got for our family. Um, on the front you can also see that we've written the dates for day 3 and 10 testing. So they can yes. have no confusion about uh, when those tests need to be done. Now that we've kind of got everything ready, next um, is to put on PPE gear. Cool, is... and I'll be putting some on as well. Yep, yep. So um, because you'll be standing back from the door, you won't need to wear a gown unless you would like to. No, that's fine. Um, it's, it's a bit hot, so I would say you can leave it. Um, but an N95 for you and then also a face shield, cool. um, which is really important um, to protect yourself. And then um, I'll be putting on the same, an N95, a face shield, but I'll also be putting on um, a gown, gloves, hairnet, and shoe covers. Okay. So, so let's do that now. Yeah, let's do that now. We gear up and get out of the van. But as we're walking up to the house, there's a gate and a sign that says there's a dog on the property. So this is something that we come across a lot, um, like okay. kind of te- technical issues in terms of... Um, <laughs> animals on the property, locked gates, Um, the families know we're coming because we do call them to advise them that we're on our way, but uh, we don't want to enter properties without permission, and that's really important, and secondly, our safety as well, so if there is a dog on the property, uh, we don't know how um, they'll respond, so best to wait just to check that there isn't any risks. Uh, the advisor, Nunnell, right now is just on the phone calling the family, just checking in that they're still happy for us to enter and they'll come and unlock the gate for us. Oh. We can open up. Awesome. Okay, cool, thanks. Yeah. We're going to head in now. We're coming up to the door. Hello. Hi. I'm Tyler. I'm one of the nurses from Southeast Healthcare. So, got your pack here for isolation. Yeah. Um, so, if your food parcel has been requested, you haven't received it yet. Oh, what's her? Your food parcel. I've never been with it. Haven't got it yet. So it should likely come today or tomorrow. Oh, okay. Um, 
and so that'll include all of the things requested so uh, frozen food fresh uh, fruits and vegetables as well as a dry box that will include rice bread cereals and then also a hygiene pack um, which will include toiletries as well as masks sanitizers that kind of stuff all right but in this kit here which is kind of more important apart from rats each pack also has a pulse oximeter so when we do the daily check-in for the positive people in the home or anyone who's symptomatic in the home this is something that we're going to ask you to use it's a pretty straightforward machine what you do is you just pop it on your finger yep. and it will automatically turn on okay so the batteries are new in here so they shouldn't run out but if you have any issues let us know the top number here where it says spo2 that's your oxygen level okay, okay. the bottom number here is your heart rate where the heart is so these are two separate numbers and they're going to ask for both if they have any concerns about those numbers, they might ask you to wait five minutes and do another reading because sometimes the machines can take a minute to give an accurate reading. If they have any concerns after that, they'll get you in touch with one of the nurses who'll give you a call back, all right? Tyler Sorensen also runs through how to do the tests and when, isolation rules, and how to get financial assistance. Thank you. See you Thank guys. You. See ya. All right. That's a lot of information you have to remember yes. every, every visit. Yes, lots of information. Um, we've kind of honed the spell down multiple times. Yeah. And it's changed lots of times. <laughs> as, you know, the phases have changed and stuff. We do forget things, you know, we're not perfect. Yeah. I'll get back in the car and be like, oh, damn, I've got this. So I'll call them to remind them because, yeah. um, you know, but everything that I've said today has already been told to them. Okay. So when the nurses um, in the call centre make initial contact, all of that spell has already been discussed. But again... Uh, it's a lot of information, so we it always is, just repeat yeah. it at the door to make sure that um, it was understood. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the most important thing is that no one's at home struggling. We don't yeah. want anyone sitting at home struggling for food or financially mm -hmm. um, or with healthcare. Um, they're worried about their symptoms or anything like that. So we have avenues for people to reach out to us uh, so that they don't need to break isolation yeah. to then you know, cater to their families. Yeah. Yeah. So now is the disinfection process yes. so um we start with taking each layer off at a time and then each layer afterwards you do hand gel as well so first layer is always the gown then you go well gloves i should say gloves hand sanitizer then gown yep. then shoe covers eye protection and then your mask could always be last right um, because you're then clean you can step inside and change into a surgical mask once we've disposed of the gear, it's back on the van, filling out the paperwork and on to the next visit. Oh, it is very hot today. Yeah. Yeah, I have to find <laughs> that we um, <laughs> sweat a lot. Do you find that some families are quite anxious when you guys meet them? Or? Um, some families are. Um, they have a lot of questions, a lot of concerns about how processes are going to work. Um, and how their time in isolation is going to work. Um, some families are really accepting of it. They feel pretty confident in managing at home during uh, their self-isolation period. But most of the time when families have concerns, it's already been identified with the call centre nurses when they make first contact. Right. So when we get to the door, most of the time um, they've been reassured and we can do more reassurance at the door too um, cool. if they do have any other new questions or concerns that they've thought up um, since their time talking to the call centre nurse. Yeah. It must be pretty rewarding though, like doing this. Oh, totally. To like the earrings that I'm wearing right now, um, they were actually gifted from one of our clients who uh, has an earring making business. Oh, wow. And she really wanted to show her appreciation to our team for taking care of her family during isolation. 
So um, we do definitely get some really, really appreciative families. Um, we get a lot of prayers, uh, a lot of people, you know, wanting to include us in blessings. Um, so yeah, it, it is really, really rewarding, um, particularly for myself. Um, being a New Zealand European woman, I came into this role wanting to uh, expand my knowledge of Pacifica yep. and how to best look after them. And I do feel like in this role I've learned a lot, particularly going to people's homes and learning cultural customs and how to kind of re uh, maintain dignity and respect in the home mm. when you know we're doing such a kind of a bizarre service. How many people do you have on your team? There's four teams across our services, so uh, each team has a call center nurse, and then she'll have about three or four advisors, and then there's a mobile team attached to each team. So uh, in there's probably about nine in a team. Yeah, so okay. that's right from the call center to our call advisors, and then right through to our mobile team. So, so nine in a team, and yeah. then how many teams? And four, so four teams. nine, four, thirty-six. That's not a lot of people to no. serve the whole South Auckland. <laughs> no, it's not. And, you know, that, that just shows that there's definitely a need and uh, a demand for uh, frontline workers, yeah. Yeah. So we try as best as we can to um, meet the demands of the of the surge, um, but we have to also keep in mind that we need to be safe. In stage one, we used to look after close contacts as well, um, but now... We're in a stage three. We only look after the positive case of a household contact, so that helps us to to better manage our our families. So it's mainly high acuity cases that we look after in in stage three. That means this kind of service by South Seas is only available for those deemed high risk. Even then, Cherry Alisaia says one team had to make eighteen visits in one day. I wish we pushed harder for a lockdown. Then maybe we wouldn't be seeing the numbers that we're seeing today, but whether or not that would change because of how contagious this virus is. Um, but that's probably something I would wish that we pushed for. Yeah. yeah. Because when, when was the moment that you realised, oh no, these numbers are yeah. going to be like nothing we've experienced? We, we already noticed in phase one. <laughs> so essentially we're escalating and saying, oh, the... The, the criteria and the guidelines for phase one is is actually phase three. <laughs> so I think it was right from the start we knew that, you know, um, what we were seeing in phase one was what, what the government prepared for in phase three, but we were already seeing it very early. Wow. So it must be really hard as well because the advice, I mean, does change yes. quite a bit in terms of rules and requirements. Yes, so uh, we've seen in phase four, go from phase one to phase three really quickly. And it happened um, probably uh, a lot quicker than we thought it would. Um, and with, with those changes in the phases came a lot of changes with the guidelines. Yes. So it meant that um, testing days changed, isolation period changed. So a lot of the community were feeling like they were getting different information from different sources. Mm. So we, we always try and we make sure that we keep up to date with the Ministry of Health guidelines and just keep our families updated as well. So, yeah, unfortunately, it is it is reality. The, the changes that have happened so quickly have caused confusion and a lot of um, that could 
possibly lead to mistrust of the um, government officials, but our aim is just to guide them and just to help them know that these are the guidelines that are recommended for them to be able to safely um, safely get through their isolation period. Yeah. Do you think it would have been a smoother process if it hadn't changed so quickly? Um, I think it possibly could have, but obviously, um, you know, we have to look at the demand on workforce and the capacity at which our frontline workers can work because not only is it not only the community are affected by this COVID um, Omicron, it's also the frontline workers. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, of our own frontline workers falling um, down with COVID. So mm. um, it's really important that we look after our workforce. And, and those changes are primarily to help our capacity so that we can provide that safe care. What's one experience that you had that has particularly stood out to you? Um, I think one that particularly has stood out is uh, the big uh, Ifakasach cluster where there were 14 boys uh, isolating in a two-bedroom home Um, and that was because they returned back from a trip from Rotorua and they came to find that their families were already in isolation so one they returned back from their trip two they couldn't see their families three they were They had to um, go into isolation in conditions where um, we wished was a little bit better for them. Um, And unfortunately, it led to a lot of escalation for MIQ referrals, but there was just no capacity. And it forced the church leaders to come up with solutions themselves because there wasn't any available at the time, so right. they had to uh, open up the church hall and look after their boys, um, who all actually ended up becoming positive. Well, um, makes sense. Yeah, if they, you yeah. know, were in such close quarters, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think that story would probably stick out um, over all of them at the moment. Yeah. Mm. Um, what was it like? You know, because obviously South Seas did work together with the church leaders, I'm assuming, yeah. to, to kind of support I, them. Yep. I think the uh, at, when you were sitting in a phase three where we know that we're past the containment stage of trying to stop the virus from spreading because we know it's already out there, um, we, we needed to shift our focus on keeping our families safe. Um, so the biggest thing would uh, would be that we did have to uh, closely monitor them and make sure nobody got unwell. And if they needed to, we would um, refer them to their GP. But the end goal was just to, one, provide the very, ba- you know, we have to go back to the basics. We have to make sure that they've got shelter, they've got food, they've got essentials that will see them through their isolation period. And obvious, and the most important thing is that they're safe. Families who go into isolation first, it's, uh, they're having to do something that they're not, that they weren't prepared for. So it's having to coach them through, and oftentimes um, you'll get a lot of the stories about how um, they they're just over um, isolating, or they might be frustrated. So that can actually play, you know, a bit of an emotional run on our on staff as well because they'll they'll obviously feel sorry for the families in isolation. So it can overall um, um, have effects on our team, but we just have to remind our team that we need to remain professional and remain um, strong and support our families through this as well.
The government announced a $140 million cash injection for Māori and Pacific health providers like South Seas last month. That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and is a joint newsroom and RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every weekday on any podcast platform. Adrian Holley engineered this episode, Sarah Robson produced it, and thanks to Tyler Sorensen, Cherry Alasaya, and Nano Pakule. Matewa.